I want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? You know, sometimes it's good to not be American. Um, can, I just, can I just mention two things? One, I, I don't know if you've been following this. I don't know if, if Canadian election news hits America at all. I know you guys are busy with, with other things. But there's been some, uh, there's been some annoyance in in our circles that we're having a, a longer than usual election cycle um because it was called a little bit early is it like we're three our, three months or something yeah like it's happening in october <laughs> and it's like and it's actually like a, it's like a national annoyance that it's that it's taking this long so one and two did i do letters or numbers i don't remember anyway the second thing is the the scripting on this whole donald trump thing like they're they're pushing the limit the limits of credibility here. Like I don't know if I buy Trump as a character. I don't know if I buy his motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I will say it's been damned entertaining to watch the whole schism with him and Fox. That was an inspired plot twist, just there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look forward to when um, we actually meet the candidates. Like find out who the who the candidates are going to be for for each side. Uh, of the election because uh, we haven't yet so i look forward to seeing what happens when we actually find out who's really going to be running the other thing is this whole 15 debate uh episode order it seems a little long to me um maybe they should cut that back a little bit i don't know if they can sustain the drama for that long i concur i definitely that could be trimmed back and um We'll see what happens if they if they make their full order or if it gets, uh, you know, I assume it's not going to get canceled, but they're going to get some low ratings as that continues. People are just going to, there's definitely going to be a fade, I would say. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, either way, I think I think season two is going to be where it's at. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, in further TV news, of course, TCAs continue to abound. We finally got a premiere date for Kingdom, season two of Kingdoms coming out in October. Uh, You're the Worst is now finally up on Hulu and because season two is starting up um, uh, in the beginning of September. So uh, if, you, if people want to watch season one, they finally can do that in a legal streaming way. Um, there's a bunch of other TV news going around, uh, but I think those are the, for us, the new recent highlights of TCAs. Uh, yes, I will say that Twitter was delightful throughout the throughout the True Detective finale. Uh, it's been a blast to follow that and not watch it, mm-hmm. and just enjoy enjoy not watching it. I've really it's definitely been the show this year that I've most enjoyed not watching. I've got to say, I it was very surprising to me. I did not realize that were there were that many people still watching True Detective, or maybe it was just everybody that we knew who's reviewing it somewhere they have to keep watching it but i just kind of wanted which was which was like everyone it's a lot 
there's a lot of people. I and mean, poor poor Whitney did such a wonderful job reviewing the show for us over at Sound on Sight. We appreciate your sacrifice, Whitney. Um, but I don't know why anybody. I mean, and and there are some people who have liked this season at least somewhat. I know I saw Kempinar. Adam Kempinar was tweeting um, about how he, on the whole, thinks he's mildly positive on the season. And I know Les Chapel is more positive than most, at least on parts of the season. But, um, but yeah, I just want to be like, guys, you you don't have to. It's the time of the year where there's only like four Sunday shows. <laughs> and the fact, embrace the it. The fact that the fact that there it's it's been airing for eight weeks, and I still have not seen one contrarian think piece saying no, it's secretly better than season one. Not one. Maybe it exists. Yeah. But I certainly haven't seen it. Uh, I think that tells you something. The contrarian think pieces have been, actually, guys, uh, people are saying, well, season one took a while to find its feet. And the contrarian think pieces have been, no, guys, it didn't. Season one was good from the first first episode. Like, that's as contrarian as I've seen the debate get. A rehash yeah. of our arguments about season one. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I'm very glad that that is. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was fun. It was fun to see that all play out on Twitter, but I'm glad to be done with that for a while. Um, also, instead of, of watching that, I've been watching Steven Universe in preparation for our Make You Watchathon coming up in a few weeks. And I wanted to mention, we're not going to get into this here because this is what the Make You Watchathon is for. Uh, but spoiler alert, the show's fucking awesome and y'all need to watch it. So just heads up, we're giving you several weeks notice here. Uh, catch up with Steven Universe so that you can dive in with our with our Make You Watchathon in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's not going to take you that long. It's got a ton of episodes, but they're super short. Um, yeah, I watched and, about forty in like three days. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, very much looking forward to talking about that. Everyone who who implored me slash us to watch it was right. Y'all were right. Uh, Y'all were right. Um, and I've seen it absent from certain. Uh, summer shows you should be watching roundups and they're mm. wrong and they're wrong and we were so, wrong for not having it on our best episodes of the year so far list yes to be continued yes, we in a couple weeks but um but yeah but now we know better uh we've yeah. been chided by noel over at from tv.com noel, Kirk, noel, noel kirkpatrick um but yeah guys this is a much better show much much better show than many of those shows making lists Places yes. is that enough of a subtweet for you? Yes, there? that's okay. definitely enough subtweeting. Okay. Um, <laughs> now the other show that we'll be doing for that is Venture Brothers. So if you guys want to catch up with that, that's uh, would be another fantastic show to, to catch up with over the next couple weeks. Uh, this week we also had fun catching up with the L Word because uh, Kayla Kamari Upaja came on to talk about the L Word with us. Of course, uh, she's from the AV Club. Um, That'll be coming at the end of the podcast. Also wanted to mention um, the question of the week from last week. I felt like an idiot as soon as I saw Carl's pick for the question of the week last week, which was... Shows that you can't, that, that you are just like totally mystified didn't seem to secure enough of an audience. And uh, what was Carl's pick? I believe it was Enlisted. Yes, which, of course, because, you know, Carl's such an outspoken spoken, uh, uh, proponent of that show, did some such great fan art for them. We always love, I always love seeing the the fan fan art that carl puts together but i would call him an enlisted activist yeah i think that's about right yeah that's good yeah but as soon as i saw those like yes that is the right recent like last couple years that's the one that just still baffles me ben and kate another similar baffles me 
that people didn't, you know, cotton to that show. But anyways, um, also, uh, just to mention here, we got a bunch of comments over at the website on our last episode. Thank you so much, George, Fiction's Real, Ben, the other people who were commenting over there. Always love talking to you guys, so keep up the conversation with this next, uh, with this week's episode, hopefully. Um, but we should get into our week in TV, because we got a lot of TV to talk about. It's one of the fuller weeks of the summer, I would say. Yeah? Yes. No fuller house yet, though. And I'm I'm okay without it, frankly. <laughs> but for now, we will take a break and we will come back with our week in comedy. This week in comedy, I'm going to talk about the Significant Mother pilot, the Mr. Robinson pilot, and then we'll both talk about uh, Difficult People, which had its first two episodes, The Pilot and Devil's Throughway, and then we'll talk about Playing House, which had its premiere, Hello, Old Friend, and Sleepless in Pinebrook. Then we'll talk about Review, Curing Homosexuality, Mile High Club, Rick and Morty, Autoerotic Assimilation, Last Week Tonight for this past week, as well as the final episode uh, with Jon Stewart of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, so the, his finale with, with The Daily Show. Um, you'll note I don't have So You Think You Can Dance on here, because ding dong, awesome has gone. That's all I got to say. Maybe uh, there'll be more to say about So You Think You Can Dance uh, next week. But for now, let's, I'm going to go straight on with uh, to the pilots. Now, uh, Significant Mother, as I said, premiered actually more than a week ago, as people are hearing this on the CW. And the premise is basically uh, a guy is, starts having having sex with his best friend's mom when his best friend, uh, the mom, is gets separated from her husband that she married when she was 20. And I, I believe um, she married the dad, the husband, when, when she was 20. It doesn't say how old she was like if they had had kids before then um because in the 80s you know may december romances that stuff can come up but the she's uh the kids are you know the her son and the best friend are 26 so i would assume the mother is 46 maybe she had the kid a couple years earlier and they got married later which doesn't really make sense but you know somewhere in that range um i was surprised how well parts of this worked um, it's, it's not a funny show. It's not really that good, but there is some, uh, talented cast and some charming cast here. There's some, some good lines. I really like, there's a joke about Felicity. Uh, uh, that was pretty hilarious. The show Felicity. Um, there was some good stuff in there. Not enough to really overcome the cheesiness of the premise. And like, it's really trying very hard, but, um, 
but I ended up having a lot more fun with this than I expected to. And that any show with the title significant mother, um, really has any right to expect. So, uh, I won't be watching more, but tip of the hat to significant mother, not as bad as I thought it would be. Do you think you will check out significant mother? (laughs) Probably not. Uh, if only because I don't think I'd be caught dead watching a show by that name. Fair enough. What about uh, Mr. Robinson? Have you heard anything about this? This is the new show with Craig Robinson. That is the extent of the things I've heard. That and it's very traditional sitcom and also not very good. Yes. Now, have you seen the Steve Harvey show? Uh, no. I, I know who Steve Harvey is uh, and I've seen his works, but no, I have not seen the Steve Harvey show. Because uh, that's basically what this is. The Steve Harvey show uh, was in the 90s, and I think even earlier is Hanging with Mr. Cooper, also about a, uh, a public school teacher. Um, and, and like Welcome Back, Cotter, I guess. Welcome Back, Cotter, of course, yeah. But uh, so, so, so Mr. Robinson is about Craig Robinson's character who's in a band, and he subs as a music teacher at the local public, public uh, high school. And he his um, girlfriend or, or his crush from high school who he stood up for – prom uh, so that he could go play his first paying gig with his band uh, comes back into town and she's gorgeous and super successful and made a bunch of money and now she wants to give back so she's teaching at the public high school because that's the thing but that's whatever that's fine uh, and so so now he wants he wants to ask her out uh, she's got a boyfriend he finds out eventually of course um, so he goes and he's teaching at the school so because she's the new teacher there so that they can spend more time together um, and it's endearing not at all stocky um, but, uh, and of course he's so good that he winds up being offered a permanent position there. Um, cause that's how school works. Also a thing that happens. It's also a thing that happens. Anyways, it's, it's cheesy and uh, it feels very, like you said, it's very traditional. It's like, it wants to be that show. It wants to be Welcome Back Cotter. It wants to be Hang With Mr. Cooper. It wants to be the Steve Harvey show. Um, I say Hang With Mr. Cooper because I just, I, there's many an afternoon that I was watching reruns of that show when I was like in, in elementary or middle school. Don't quite remember. Um, but so that's the one that's the teacher based show that comes to mind for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm sure that there are people who will enjoy it, but it's just not very good. And it wastes the talent of a lot of very talented people. Um, that's the kind of thing that again, middle school, me who didn't have things like Steven universe, she could watch would have, you know, found this to be a pleasurable half hour show. Like not really that invested, but you know, whatever. It's fun. I like these people. It's entertaining, spending time with them and procrastinating, doing my homework. Um, that's about the level of praise I can give this show. And I hope that everybody involved gets something better to do um, and more interesting to do soon. Because there's no... It's, they're burning up two episodes a week for the next three weeks, and then they're doing the same thing with the Carmichael show. Uh, this is over at NBC. So it, nothing's going to happen with this. Don't check it out. It's not worth your time is what I would say. But hey, you know, if you really like Craig Robinson and you really want to see his show, go for it, I guess. That's what I would say about that one which would if you had to choose between these two shows which would you go for uh no i'm not playing this game just no okay well instead how about let's move on to some pilots that you did watch and the first up is difficult people which is airing on hulu this is billy eichner and uh oh my goodness julie klausner who actually who created this show it should be noted uh 
she is the she and she wrote the pilot as well as I think her in the second episode. Basically, Billy Eichner and Julie Klasner play awful people in New York uh, who are trying to make it in showbiz uh, and just and aren't because no one likes them, basically, and because they are funny um, or, you know, not funny, at least in the context of their work. And uh, so it's it's I, I, again, sort of. I feel like whenever people try to do this now, I'm like, okay, so they're trying for you're the worst because that's like the new benchmark to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't love these episodes, um, but I think there's a foundation there for goodness later. Uh, I think both, both. I think I, I like Billy Eichner a lot more here than I did uh, on Parks and Rec, where I felt like he never really fit in, um, which I guess was sort of the point, but still. Um, uh, the 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 blah, blah, blah. the support cast includes like Gabare Sidibe and uh, and James Urbaniak, yeah, which is, like, Andrea Martin, two people, and Andrea Martin, people I, I I didn't really expect to ever see on the same show. Uh, so that's kind of neat, even if uh, I don't like have a strong sense of of some of their characters just yet. Um, so far, it's 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 like trapped somewhere between just being a punchline delivery device or a one-liner delivery device, uh, and an actual show with characters and stakes and and things that it cares about in its world. And I think once it finds the right balance, I think it could be really good. Yeah, and I would agree with almost all of that. I think I liked it a little bit more than you did, maybe. But it sounds like you liked it, just you weren't laughing because that's sort of where I was at with this. Uh, there was, there was a couple things I found kind of funny. Um, and I, I have to say I did enjoy the, as someone else putting it, the ethering of, of Chelsea Handler. Uh, but, um, beyond that, yeah, like I, I, I can see why it's appealing or why it's funny, even if it's not, you know, even if I'm not laughing in the, in the moment. Uh, and I, I, I do think, uh, with it, it, it's in a better place than a lot of shows that ended up being a lot better, uh, were when they started. Yeah. If that makes any sense, so I think if it if it if it isn't content for just being this and is willing to work on its world building and uh, and its sort of tone work, then I think it, it could uh, end up being really good. It's one to watch, basically. Well, yeah, I, they well, yeah, the, they've done the legwork, they've built the foundation here, and like from the first scene, once they get to Annie, I feel like I know who these people are. They feel like characters. They don't just feel like shouty shouty you know which is sort of what was happening on parks and rec with the billy eckner character for a while yeah um so they they do feel like characters they feel like they i feel like i know what they want and maybe why they don't have it yet and they seem like they are they they are there are things that they want that they they are trying to achieve and if they care about stuff i will care about them usually so um I wasn't laughing as much as I maybe would have liked to in the first two episodes, but I was having a lot of fun with these characters, and I, I absolutely agree. I can really see how this could, could easily become uh, one of the more reliable and fun shows on uh, TV or Hulu, I guess. <laughs> on uh, Hulu, yes. On Hulu <laughs> uh, that we're watching. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the course of this season. Do you have any other thoughts on Difficult People, or should we move on to Playing House? Uh, let's do that, a.k.a. Um, the show that we keep telling you that you should be watching and now it's back, and now we can once again tell you that you should be watching it. Mm-hmm. Well, we had Hello, Old Friend, and Sleepless in Pinebrook. Uh, it, it just it felt like putting on a comfy pair of jeans that fits just right. Like It's so comfortable. The atmosphere, the tone of, of the show, it's clear that this is a show made by people 
who like each other and who like who are very comfortable with each other that the long-term friendship relationship that the the creatives uh the creators have uh lennon parnham and uh st Clair uh, also i have together just it really comes through on on screen and so it just makes it really fun to spend time with them yeah i don't know how much i have to say about this uh because it's just if if it's it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it because it's so low concept. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's it's really it's a hangout comedy. Uh, the stakes are very low, very very low in in every episode, pretty much. Uh, the character relationships don't really change. Um, you know, there there's really only three or four characters in any given episode, uh, and really throughout the show, um. It, it it sounds very sort of static and not that interesting, but it's just super funny and warm, and uh, and l- I think it has that lived in feel uh, that you're sort of alluding to. Um, yeah. That is that is again difficult to to explain. It's just kind of like you you should you should watch it. It's it's like reliably fun and funny. Uh, like like you will you may actually laugh out loud. I was definitely laughing out loud. Yeah, watching it. And, and the other thing that this has is. When you talk about these other shows going for a sort of you're the worst aesthetic or, or feel to their characters, if nothing else, this is a show where everybody in it is a nice, good person. They may do crazy stuff or be challenging at times, but they all mean well on the, as the, on the whole. They're all good people and just stuff happens. And I, I really appreciate like It's just I, it's a much more relatable show for me when you talk about seeing yourself on screen again as a cisgender upper middle class white girl from the suburbs i don't have anywhere near the trouble with that that other people do (laughs) but i often feel this is part of why i love jane the virgin so much last year i often feel like characters who are nice um get derided uh who that is important to them they want to be a good nice supportive warm kind person and this is a show that really rewards that in a way that says you can also be funny and be nice you can also be you know, interesting and have strong opinions about Property Brothers, for example, uh, and right. and also be, you know, care about being kind to others and take place a premium on that. So I think that's part of, like you said, this is a very warm show. But when, like, when they're in the closet and, uh, and Birdbones is talking about the one character's fat feet and these cut-ins, like, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. Like, it just, I was laughing a lot it's an easy gag i don't know why there's a light on in the closet i don't care i was just having so much fun yeah i mean there's 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 not too much to pick apart on this one it's just if you if you feel like you want a good low concept sitcom that is that is extremely reliable week to week you uh, want more keegan michael key in your life and keegan michael key is in it um then you know if, if that sounds like if that sounds like something you you need in your life then uh, then you should watch it because nobody is and it's it looks which is and it's amazing to me that it, that it isn't it's one of those shows that looks like it costs about seventeen dollars to produce mm-hmm. uh, especially the intro um, so uh, I'm hoping it can get that threshold you know it can get under that threshold and 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 people will actually watch it but USA and comedy uh, is something that they struggle with. As we remember with Benched, which we actually enjoyed. Remember mm-hmm. how we actually liked Benched? Yep. And then nobody at all watched it. Yep. Uh, this uh, this is better than Benched was. Uh, so hopefully uh, it can actually develop a following. Maybe. Yeah. Come a on. Little bit. Zach Woods isn't on anything else right now. So get your dose of Zach Woods there 
on with Playhouse. Also Zach Woods, yes. yes. I've forgotten about him. Yes. Well, let's move on to our next show uh, in this week in comedy, and that is Review Curing Homosexuality and Mile High Club, which was so funny. I introduced my, my sister and my brother-in-law to the show with this episode, and I have nice. at least one convert, if not two. Uh, I think I think one is... My brother-in-law, I think, will definitely be watching more of the show, and my sister I enjoyed it. I don't know if she'll seek it out. I'm right. I'm pushing her on Steven Universe right now. Um, but this was a really funny episode. Yeah, I, I, I will say that of the... Of the four from this season that I've seen so far, this was maybe my least favorite, uh, but Ooh. it's still good. Uh, yeah, there's some really, some really good stuff coming up in the next couple. I think I don't want to hype them too much, uh, but yeah, this this one might have pushed the cringe humor envelope the furthest, especially in the Mile High Club segment. Uh, parts of that are just deeply unpleasant. I mean, in a funny way, but still, that that gets yeah, that gets real. <laughs> Well, and I love, yeah, that, yeah, yep. Uh, I also love, you can see, especially after having been trained on how to watch the show from the first season, um, you can see how things are going to, I would be very surprised if he has custody, joint custody of his son by the end of the season, just let me say. Um, but, I mean, I, just the way that Forrest describes heterosexuality and homosexuality and, like, and to, using sea life, I, I think, is just delightful and one of my favorite ways that has been that that uh, like trying to understand how how a, a heterosexual person views uh, the same gender or, or how a homosexual person views the opposite gender um, that I've seen. It just puts it. It's really straightforward and but in, in a very um, perfectly kind of forest kind of way. I love the winks to the camera as well that we get from from Urbaniak and, uh, and and these other characters as they are mm-hmm. clearly pulling the The reaction shots from AJ this week are just on point. Yeah, there's uh, there's some really good James Urbaniak stuff this season. And uh, the one my one point of disappointment, and in, in it, it shows in this episode as well, is I don't think we're getting enough Jessica St. Clair, but I guess that's what we have playing house for. Yeah, um, and, and she's, that, that, that's coming. I would be very surprised if that was not coming at the end. Yes. Um, yeah, the, the way that the... The, the the curing homosexuality half uh, is so well and carefully written uh, mm-hmm. to play to play up on everyone's like there is absolutely like there is no malice in Forrest whatsoever like he he is not judgmental he's just clueless um, and he tries to have an open mind about things but he is limited by his own you know by his own upbringing or his own his own short sightedness I guess. So that combination of sort of like wide-eyed, whatever, let's do anything, and combined with that short-sightedness, it has all kinds of like wonderful little comic possibilities. Yeah, it's it's another fun episode, and uh, I look forward to after you said that. I look forward to the next couple weeks because they're going to be fun. Yeah, I'm worried um, about hyping, but the, the, I definitely there were there were points in the next couple where I where I laughed more than I did in, in the first couple. I think. Fair enough. Well, we're up to the Sunday shows, and the first up is Rick and Morty's uh, autoerotic assimilation. Uh, how does this one compare to our first two of the season for you? Uh, I think it's right up there with those. Uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised it's taken this long for any, for someone to uh, to write a twist on the old, like essentially the Borg concept of the of the hive mind. Um, except that, like, what if you were dating a hive mind? Mm-hmm. Um, which is the, basically the entire premise of this episode. And I'm surprised no one's thought of it before, 
uh and it's great and it's unsettling and and gross and uh and also like weirdly touching in the way that rick and morty is is good at yeah it really falls in it's is it's in the sweet spot for that for this show it's in the center of the venn diagram of of the show's favorite uh, elements certainly uh that's christina Hendricks is the voice of unity and was that Patton oswalt as the other yes collective which was fun voice acting no the way that it comes together and looks at love as a drug or an addiction is really interesting and fun and again they did a good job of balancing and having summer go on the adventures with them has been such a better choice um but they did a, a good job of balancing out um so it just occurred to me that this is basically the, the doctor having two companions lets the two companions go off and get into trouble while the doctor right. does doctory things. It's the same thing here with Rick and Morty, and um, I'm glad that they've made that adjustment. And then again, like we said in the previous episodes, the balance with the kids and Rick and then the parents also works works very well. And um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I, it's been a very solid season of Rick and Morty so far. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it has. We also wanted to mention this week, last week, tonight, because we haven't really been talking about it, and they did a delightful segment on U.S. public education uh, sex ed classes, which I knew all this stuff because I'm aware of the, the BS that goes down with funding in the public schools. Uh, how much of this were you familiar with? Uh, most of it. I mean, I know that uh, at least one of the GOP candidates is pro-abstinence-only education, uh, so, and I forget which one that is, but I, I looked at a, I, I looked at a chart. Just recently. let that sit there. Just like, go watch this episode of last week tonight and then look here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say though that, uh, I, I did note it. Like I couldn't help but pick up on the fact that he, he opened the show by talking about Trump and then chiding everyone else for talking too much about it. I think it would have been smarter just to just not talk about it at all. Yeah. I feel like he had to though. Cause I know I, for one was tuning in to see uh partially to see what you know because i didn't watch the debate i didn't have time uh so i was looking forward to getting sort of like a clip reel and and with with daily show going off the air and uh for the uh at least with john stewart and i believe there's going to be a transition period before noah starts up um Mm -hmm. i can't rely on the daily show for that and nightly show was on got bumped for the extra long daily show so i can't so i was I was glad they at least mentioned it, um, and I su- assume if there had been anything else of particular interest or note, that would have gotten brought up uh, on last week tonight. So I, I see what you're saying, but um, I was glad they at least did a nod to it. But it was really all about, of course, the the parade of cameos at the end, especially delightful, especially Jonathan Banks, obviously. Yeah, I really loved that um, th- th- that video that they put together i thought that was great i enjoyed the diversity of like the different types of comedians they had um there in that segment it was very funny and bringing jonathan banks back was pretty uh pretty delightful yeah last week tonight we love you at least i do yes yes we do and speaking of uh satirical news programs uh the daily show is over that was a thing that people noticed happening the daily show with john stewart is over we should say uh, yeah, yes, 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 it is. Um, the thing about this is that it was nice. Uh, I will, I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch the whole Springsteen thing because I don't care about Springsteen. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, New Jersey. Um, I didn't but, watch it because uh, my DVR cut off. There you go. Um, I mean, 
watching it was nice to to for i mean the parade of old correspondence was easily the highlight for me uh it was nice to see him and wyatt snack kind of kiss and make up apparently um, they did hug uh and make there, up during the commercial break that's what pe- people who were in the audience were uh, were tweeting that right um but uh the, i don't know the, the rest of it it kind of made me like i i also had seen a couple episodes over the last few weeks and i i this might not be a popular opinion, but I kind of felt like Stuart should have left sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that... I feel like the this, this show's peak era was was quite a while ago. Uh, and I, I think that there's been a need to pivot to something new uh, for a while. As, as, as great as he was on the show and as, uh, as, as reliable as especially the election coverage and things like that was, um, I think that the formula has been pretty... Uh, been pretty uh, drilled into the ground for a really long time. Um, also, can I just mention how weird it was, like, and how like lonely it was that their that their correspondent field is, has 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 narrowed to three people. Oh yeah, currently. I no, I mean like at, by the time it was over, like it oh, was yeah. it was it was just Jessica Williams and those two other guys who hadn't been around for very long. Apparently, that mm-hmm. was that was kind of strange to see. Well, that's because they everybody kept leaving to do other shows, especially after he announced that he was leaving. A lot of the correspondents aren't staying with the show. They're going to do other things. So, um, yeah, that that's, you know, that's why Sam B. And, uh, was, is no longer correspondent because she w- was one of the head writers, but then went off to do her own show with uh, Jason Jones. So uh, that's, you know, that's what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Do, do you Do you agree with me? Do you feel like we could have had... We could have had had this happen sooner, or am I just horribly cold-hearted? Well, it's hard for me to say because I haven't made watching The Daily Show a priority uh, for several years. So when I've tuned in, I've tended to like it. But again, I, I don't disagree. Um, I... I can't. I can't know how John Stewart is feeling. What it seems to me like he was feeling um, was that he was ready to be done a while ago, but he had already signed a long contract, <laughs> so he wrote out his contract um and 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 so so that just seemed and they and the last time he renewed his contract they threw a lot of money at him so um yeah so that's sort of how i looked at it like i don't know how much i think he came in and tried to do his best every day but i don't know how much more he felt like he had to say and it certainly didn't feel like there was like he was striving in the last few years when i did check in which was not a lot you know, so caveat, caveat, um, didn't seem like he was necessarily striving, like feeling like he had new things to say that he hadn't already said about the current political system. So and the current state of discourse and debate in the country. So I do agree that it, it, it will be good to have a new voice and a new take on it. I don't know if it'll be successful or not. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if, you know, who knows? We'll see. It'd be wonderful mm-hmm. if it did. Um, but yeah, certainly I've... Um, I thought it was a very good finale. I really liked the focus on the the for, from Stewart on not being about him, but about being about the show. So all the bringing back all of the correspondents, taking us on the tour and introducing us to the people behind the scenes. Not not quite all. There was a notable. Uh, oh, uh, you you can. I'm not going to get into this, but you can look up the absences and so, some of which are notable for stuff they've written about the show. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into this now, but some some amu- okay. some, some not surprising absences, let's just say. 
I will have to do some some googling. I was just sitting there, and be like, are they gonna Mun? Is, is Mun gonna happen? And then and then they did because uh, she, she was on the show for like a hot second. This is before we all knew she could be very very funny. Speaking of, I should take this moment to say a few weeks back I referenced uh, um, Mixology and said Olivia Mun was on it. I was wrong. I meant Ginger Gonzaga. I knew them both as hosts of other shows, of new shows, before they went into dude sitcoms. So, my bad. Televerse Regrets the Error. I was referencing Ginger Gonzaga, <laughs> not Olivia Munn, on Mixology. Um, but no, so but that was before we all knew that she could be really funny, thanks to the right Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Um and her delivery of it. So uh, she got, you know, she got a really hard time. She was not treated well by commenters when she joined the Daily uh, the Daily Show as a correspondent. So I was, I thought that was fun that she did pop up. But uh, I will have to look up that list of who did not make it. Um, and I also really loved the the what we got with Colbert when he's like boxing him in. <laughs> he's like, no, mm-hmm. you're going to take a compliment. Um, that was pretty delightful. Um and it felt like a very real moment in a clearly very choreographed last episode. Yes. And uh, I I think the thing that I'm looking forward to about someone new showing up, I mean, obviously people have issues with Trevor Noah, which is fine. Um, the thing that I'm looking forward to is someone who uh, who is less entrenched with, <laughs> with the establishment uh, mm-hmm. might be nice. Like, it's it's not good for a satirist to be so tight with everyone, and I think that like I always cringed whenever uh, whenever he got super pally with a high level politician, especially Kissinger. Although that was more of a Colbert thing, but still uh, the, the 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 sort of palliness that could develop with with uh, with politicians, I don't think was ever a good look for the show. Oh, I I wouldn't mind uh, hitting the reset button on that and getting in someone who uh, doesn't have that comfort level already going, and then maybe is able to uh, to dig a little bit deeper as a result. Um, I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not, but it would be nice. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, having such a turnover or apparent what seems like a turnover in the writers' room should probably affect that as well. Um, but that remains to be seen. Uh, but for now, uh, what wins your week in comedy? Ooh. There's a lot of good stuff this week. Uh, review, Rick and Morty, Playing House. Uh, oof. I will give it to... Uh, it's nice to have Playing House back. And two episodes a week is nice. So let's do that. Yeah, and it's it's not going to be... I don't think it's two weeks every week. I think it's just for the premiere. Okay. But um, but yes, those are, those are very nice. Well, you give it to Playing House, so I will... Get, I'll give it to... I'll give it to Review. Um, spread the love a little bit, and uh, we'll see what comes. Uh, we'll see what comes next for both shows. But yeah, really enjoying both of those. Uh, so now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with our week in genre and drama.
week in genre and drama, we're going to actually remember to talk about John- the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell finale this week. Uh, talk about the Unreal finale, Future, the Deutschland 83 finale, Abel Archer, the Humans penultimate episode, Episode 7, Masters of Sex, Matters of Gravity, Mr. Robot, View Source, Hannibal, and the Woman Clothed with the Sun. No, and the Woman Clothed in Sun. Not with oh, the sun. So annoying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just annoying. And we'll get there. And we'll end with Rectify the Future. Uh, this, starting up this coming week on HBO is the miniseries Show Me a Hero, the David Simon miniseries. We do not have screeners for that, but I figured I'd mention it. So keep. Uh, we'll likely be talking about that next week on the podcast. But uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, you finished out the series. Uh, what were you thinking of it? What did you, how did you think it ended? Um... I mean, I enjoyed the show overall, uh, having never gotten, and you're going to make a face at me, having never bit gotten into or even been remotely interested in Harry Potter, uh, this kind of felt like, this got, this is like the Harry Potter I could get into, because uh, there weren't any kids in it. Um, <laughs> you should see the face that's being made at me right now. Um, this is why you don't get nice things. Simon. I know. You don't appreciate um, awesomeness. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, the, the 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 wrinkle that I most appreciated about it was actually uh, it it didn't come up so much later. I like the way the the inter the in, the interaction between the magicians and the military, and the way like you you expect people to, in in a story like this, um, the 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 non magician characters to just be like consistently wowed by it or or threatened by it. And here, that's not really the case. It's more like, oh, that's cool. Uh, help us with that. Uh, and, oh, I mean, that was okay, but if you could do that better next time, uh, that would be cool. And just people having demands of, uh, of Jonathan Strange, uh, spe- uh, specifically in his relationship with the military, I thought that stuff was great. Um, my overall feeling is that, and this doesn't happen often with miniseries, is that I, I kind of wish it had been longer. Not because, uh, not, not, not in the sense that I, when it was over, I was like, oh, I need more. It just felt very... Um, it, it's the, the world building felt a bit rushed to me and I, I felt like I could have spent a little bit more time, uh, figuring out the history of, ma- of English magic and, uh, and especially the, the sort of the, the rules or, or, or what have you of, of the whole fairy dimension, which were not clear to me. Yeah. There was a couple things that sort of came out of nowhere for me in the last episode. I really, I thought they could have done a much better job with Steven. He didn't feel like a character. Um, and because he was constantly being compelled to do things by the man with thistle down hair, that doesn't, you know, that's not going to help. But I, and because he is so unwilling to speak about stuff and so internal, I guess you could say, that didn't help either. But um, I thought they really could have done a lot more to get me to, to feel like I knew him or had some, you know, window into what he was experiencing and how he was feeling. Um, and also, I was frankly confused when the man with the thistle down hair wasn't the Raven King because of the way he had been discussed. The Raven King had been discussed and it seemed like he was the, the one, the one fairy in all of fairy. Um, I guess if those other people at the ball were fairies, I didn't understand that. They just, I thought they assumed they were more trapped humans. Um, so I think they definitely could have done more, like you were saying, to explain what was going on there. And so when the, this other creature showed up i was like oh okay i guess that makes more sense then this guy is a putz why we've we been spending all the season on him he seemed like he, was, i found the 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 way that they uh conquered him i guess or, or they overthrew him felt 
a bit anticlimactic for me. So I, I, I had some issues with with those two characters and how they were handled in the last episode. But I did really like the way that Norrell and Strange came together. I, I thought that scene in the library was fantastic. I liked how they um, paid off the stooge that I'm not remembering his name. Um, the guy who sold out his friend and then shot his friend. I thought that yes. was effective. I liked I, Lady Pole was great. And um, yeah, I thought I thought I also really liked that they didn't have Jonathan Strange's um, Venetian girlfriend, <laughs> wherever he was, um, become a love triangle or anything else like that. I really liked that they steered clear of that in the way that they, they steered clear of it more than I was necessarily expecting them to. And I thought that was nice. Well, and it was also, it was funny slash, uh, it was it was amusing to have at least one character assume that was happening, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, oh, it's his Venetian lover, like, well, no, it's not his Venetian lover, but it's it, it's natural that you would think so. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not the way they're going with it. That was nice. Um, the whole, I was not expecting, like, a, a pretty explicit racial dimension to mm-hmm. be tacked on to the Steven character. Yeah. Um, which was, it was, I'm glad, like... They could have left that just, like, kind of wussy subtext, but they didn't, and I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're right, he absolutely could have been developed more as a character. It was also, like, I, I would have liked for Arabella to be a little bit more active in those last few episodes, but I guess that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it really, it really was. I liked that um, when she understood what was going on, she could contribute a bit more, I guess. And same thing with Lady Pole, when she was able to be, again, more active in the dance and in fairy, that was, that worked well. Um uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And I think the big question is, would you like to see a second series of this? It, I mean, it doesn't feel like the story's over, if only because having the magicians trapped in the in the, in the the magic death place, or whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to call it, just doesn't seem like a great ending. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem like there's more book immediately forthcoming. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what, what the deal is there. Yeah, well, there isn't... There... The the author is writing more books, as I understand it, but it got terrible ratings in the UK, so I don't know if they're going to renew it. Um, that remains to be Weird. seen, I suppose. So yeah, I, I don't know why... Th- again, this is another one. I don't know why this didn't catch on more, because it was a fun show. Yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Unreal, which had its finale future. Uh, the, the KKU-approved finale, I think we can <laughs> totally agree. Kayla uh, oh, man. loved this finale. This, I, I actually tweeted her to say that I thought that I was watching the Kayla edit and yep. not the real one. And I needed to find the real one in time for the podcast. Uh, yeah, this was a, a strong finale. I think it was better than the last few episodes. Uh, at least for me, the, um, it had some, uh, some really great moments. Uh, the, the way that, that they shot, uh, Anna's whole, uh, mic drop speech at the end, I thought was great. Um, it's, from what I've read of what they're thinking about season two, uh, it sounds like they're going to try to preserve as many characters as possible, which I don't know if that's wise or not, but uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, if they want to, if they want to go for it, sure. I mean, it, it really, it, it centered on the character relationships you would expect it to. Uh, and it did, it did it all in a relatively believable fashion, at least by unreal standards. So I was happy with it. Fair enough. Uh, I would have liked, I really liked the way that overhead shot, and it was very well. I, I liked that they had something else up their sleeves 
to make it a more interesting finale than we were anticipating. And the, the confessional scene was awesome. And uh, there was a lot to enjoy. That overhead shot of Anna was pretty fantastic. And if how was that not setting up a Bachelorette season? Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what that needed. Like, I'm, I'm shocked that they would have conceived that shot, you know, and not have already had in the back of their mind, and we need to talk to Anna about getting her to do a Bachelorette season, because that set that up perfectly. Mm-hmm. I could see them very well doing that next season. Yeah. Well, how'd um, you feel about... Now, my my DVR cut off before I could see exactly what Jeremy was up to at the end. How'd you feel about ending with Jeremy and not ending with uh, with, with Quinn and Rachel? Oh, that was definitely the, the major weakness. Major weakness, major weakness. Of, uh, of the episode. And you might say the season overall, because I feel like Jeremy's use, usefulness as a character uh, was very limited, uh, almost as limited as the appeal of the character, um, which is, like, basically zero. Um, and yeah, having ending with his, like, lukewarm scheming was it, it just felt like they needed like one last twisty button and it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I would have been happy just leaving it with Rachel and Quinn there. That would have been totally good with me. Uh I I just am kind of hoping that they cut their losses with that character. Um I don't know much about the actor. I maybe he can has a lot more in him to give with uh, if they had a stronger conception for the character of like where they wanted to take him in the next season, but based on what we've seen so far I just like just have him have his machinations come to light in the season premiere and have him get fired from the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially by the by the last episode, I I, I will admit I did like <laughs> this the scene of of him not proposing uh, was great. Like that was definitely oh, peak that character. It was so Co- annoying. It was very him, but it was so annoying. But it was so worth it for take that bitch. oh man oh god it was just like oh of course you would i'd be like what am i is this oh he's enough of a dick that he would i mean and and obviously she totally it's her fault yes totally deserves it but did i mean come on wait a i mean i don't expect better from jeremy but it's just still like dude dude (laughs) look what she's turned you into yeah, yeah, that's... Anyway, um, I, 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 anyway, like I said, I think it was the, the highlight of probably the second half of the season, which to me kind of got a little bit derailed near the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see it very easily having a better second season with uh, with with a few tweaks. Um, I, I should say even better, because I think it, it was, a, 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 especially for a first season, of a very ballsy concept. I think it did very well. Yeah, I think it it went well, and it was a solid first season to very good at certain times. And I'm certainly looking forward to what they come up with with the hiatus and, you know, coming back refreshed and knowing what works and what is less successful. Um, yeah, Quinn and Rachel forever. Apparently. I'm just surprised they didn't make out. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to uh, Kayla's segment on The L Word. But for now, let's move on to our next show, which is the Deutschland 83 finale, Abel Archer. Um, I also really enjoyed this. We don't know if it's going to be renewed yet. The The creators would like to jump in every three years and do 86 and then do 89 and have the third season culminate in the fall of the wall. Uh, they said that they that's if they could do three seasons, that would be their ideal. Huh. If it doesn't get renewed, which so far it has not been renewed. Um, I think this is a solid way to end it. And I thought it was I thought it was a 
you know, a good finale. Some of the reveals were about as anticlimactic as you can get, such as the parentage of Martin. But um, yeah, I yeah. did. I did really like that, how it came together. I I, for, I spent a second being like, oh, I'm stupid. That should have occurred to me. And then my, the next second was like, why would that have occurred to me? Oh, why would I care? Well, yeah, that's there's that. But I mean, it that occurred to me forever ago when, when the two already knew each other i was like yep that's where that's going right um i mean I, I i wasn't quite expecting it to be to to be this much basically martin saves the world mm-hmm. <laughs> which i wasn't expecting it to be that explicit but i probably should have been because the show is 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 quite broad um i like that it was one of two shows this week to have a cure music cue uh, albeit a very different one from the other one we hear this week um the uh i i i don't know why but i was amused at him having to be having to physically restrain annette yeah <laughs> like just you stay there and just let me go save the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i the um the way that that came together was it was satisfying it was it was energetic and uh it had the appropriate level of of stakes you know for trying to avert a nuclear uh, preemptive strike you know um and and it fit really well with the tone they had established by the second or third episode of this being much more of a of a thrill kind of or you know espionage kind of show rather than a intense psychological drama on on the burdens of no that's not what the yeah. show is and so i thought they really helped you to that here yeah, I now that I know about the three-year plan, that makes so much sense because I was thinking if they do another season of this, like, what? Where do you go from Martin saves the world? Like, what's the next thing? So it would <laughs> make sense that he would have to save the world every three years. Um, that makes <laughs> that makes more sense to me. Yeah, or even just you know check in on those characters. You know, what is he like with the two-year-olds? You know, what is he like with you know or a three, depending on when, I guess. Right, and that, yeah, yeah ch- check in on his probably awful marriage to Annette. You know, I thought that that went down believably. Um, I liked where we left uh, the 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 friend getting tested for AIDS. Um, just the matter of factness of uh, is it fatal? Yes, to everyone. So it just that it's just it's another reminder of a very different time um, in in our in our collective human history. And uh, I liked the way that they handled that. Yeah, apparently bedside manner not a huge priority at the time. Not for that uh, doctor or nurse, certainly, or tech, depending on. I don't know what her job was, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was a lot. There was a lot to enjoy. I liked how they came together with the 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 general's daughter as well. I thought that all culminated very nicely, and, I, and it was a you know again, it was a really solid, entertaining show, which is not a pejorative here at the Televerse, and it was also um, visually. I thought they did a really good job and. I'm glad to have spent the time. Uh, yeah, it was. I feel like that's sort of what summer TV should be. It should be breezy and fun and and uh, I, I kind of want to say forgettable, and I don't mean it in a bad way. Just like kind of like lightweight and not too not too hefty. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair enough. And I hope we get more international TV on Sundance and and in other places because I'm sure there's TV this good happening all over the world that we just aren't seeing. Yeah, we don't always need the English remake. We don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, next up is Humans, Episode 7. And we're going to keep this one pretty brief. We'll talk about it more next week. Uh, but uh, any thoughts on how, you know, the gang's all back together and then they're, everybody's selling everybody out. What did you think? Was I the only one who found the image of that Im- that immense crowd of characters in this rel- in this normal sized house to be really funny? It was pretty great. It's like more like, people. <laughs> like I I don't know if it was even intentional, but by the end there's like 15 people in that living room, and I was I, I don't know it was just it was an amusing visual. I mean I guess they weren't all people, uh, although that's debatable. But yeah, that 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 to me was just an amusing visual. Um... I continue to find the show kind of like so- solidly interesting, but naggingly not quite as good as it feels like it should be. Uh, I especially was annoyed with the heel turn of the ro- of Lady Robot Detective Karen. Uh, Karen just Breaking Bad all of a sudden and just being like, "I am anti myself and all other smart robots." Is oh okay, we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. That just that just felt very sudden. Yeah, more prep for that would have been nice. You called it, by the way, on uh, several things this week. Oh, yeah, William Hurt. Yeah, William Hurt. Uh, You also called some Rectify stuff. You also called... It was a very uh, Go Simon week of TV. Um, Yeah, and I was disappointed that William Hurt, uh, he's now out of the show. Um, But maybe we'll get flashbacks or something. Or maybe he'll get robotified. Or who knows? (laughs) Who knows? But yeah, it would have been for how significant a turn that is for Karen. And we didn't really know her earlier, but because we're kind of filling in the gaps with some of the other characters as like, they're just like a normal person to have her veer from that. So distinctly. And so uh, significantly without more than just like one flashback of get out of here. You know, I think, I think we needed a little bit more work for that to really come together, but I did really like what we got with the family. I liked what we got with the, the 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 robots the synths all talking to each other and trying to decide what they like like we can't leave any loose ends i don't mean kill them it's like come on <laughs> you could see why they would think you meant that um I, I thought that the different dynamics all work together and i think and the whole it's culminating nicely and i look forward to the finale yes uh and of course it was nice to see that mia can do deadpan yeah absolutely <laughs> that was that was yeah that was good that was good our next show is masters of sex matters of gravity and uh, we haven't really talked about Master of Sex that much this season, but we're on the same page for once. So what did you think? This, I feel like Masters of Sex is, go- is going to be Masters of Sex at this point. Uh, I, I I can't get a bead on whether this season is better or worse than any previous season. Uh, it definitely feels as though there's absolutely nothing unifying this season in terms of themes or character focus or anything like that. I do know that, that this week's episode i think was unusually strong uh it helps that we got i think the most time we've had in a long time with bow bridges and allison janney uh focusing in on them uh reminding us that they are somewhere between guests and regulars on this show um and whenever it centers back on them um i mean their last scene in this episode is just great um i also liked her scenes with uh with her uh quasi polyamorous boyfriend who is a guy i've seen in everything and i can't think of who he is oh right yes yes tate donovan uh you know those scenes were good uh not the examination of polyamorousness that i'm hoping for out of future television uh that i mentioned in our uh in our forthcoming l word segment but uh you know interesting nonetheless um the obvious star of this episode i think is uh is that last uh is the speech that that uh that Michael Sheen gives uh, 
at at his old alma, alma mater, which is such an obvious showboating sequence, but uh, is still great nonetheless. And I almost feel like they should have saved it for a more important episode. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, no, I thought it really worked, and I like this is definitely for me the strongest episode of the season, and it's that strength comes from it's really consistent. It's not just mm-hmm. there's one nice moment or there's one good scene. Um, like, we really liked the stuff earlier in the season with Mather Zickle, but we didn't really like the rest of the episode that had that stuff. Um, here, everything is very solid, whether it's um, Virginia's struggles with her family and what that oh. tells her. Uh, or Frances Fisher is so great at that, by the way. She's very good. She's very good. Um, the stuff we get with Alice and Janney throughout is fantastic i love the level of self-awareness they give the character when she comes in to uh, let them to let uh bill know that they won't be coming back and finds instead uh her ex-husband um the level of awareness they give her about how she's gotten to where she is and why she chose greg is wonderful um i i really i really appreciate that it shows such a respect for the character um and so so there's so that that really worked. I liked uh, the what we got with them earlier in um, in their counseling, and then what we get with Bill is fantastic. Like you say, that speech really, really works. It's just like just when you're ready to give up on Master of Sex and be frustrated with it for failing to bring everything together, they give you an episode like this that I think is really solid and a and this really powerful scene or two or three that shows you what the show is capable of when it's firing on all cylinders yeah there's still weird tonal moments like that uh there's that that bit of like overt slapstick that we get with Mm -hmm. uh with um with uh uh, annalee ashford performing that that back move which is like it feels like it's out of a totally different show i still liked it <laughs> I, no, was I, I don't think it's not a bad moment it's just it's weird that it's happening on this show mm-hmm. and it's the, those like bizarre tonal shifts are all over the show well and, and when you're talking about uh slapstick i love i love that they keep bill falling to the ground off screen because in my head that's a really broad comedically mm-hmm. like slapstick comedy moment <laughs> but we just get to imagine it which is even better yeah and the one thing that I do wish they'd do more of is I that scene where they're actually doing the consult with uh, with Allison Janney and Tate Donovan and explaining what they should be doing and why was fascinating. Yeah. And like it's this is this is the sort of work that Masters and Johnson were presumably doing like on a daily basis. And it's not we don't get to see a lot of it. Mostly we see, you know, a, a patient of the week coming in and they have a, a discussion that is like sort of germane to whatever the theme of the episode is. We don't actually get to see them do a their lot of jobs. their work, their job, which yeah. you, which I never really noticed until we saw them do it this week. And I was <laughs> like, wow, we need like more of the nitty gritty mm-hmm. of the actual sex talk because the whole point of the show is that that stuff is interesting and useful and yet we don't get to see a lot of it. Yeah, I, it'd be nice if we got more of that. Uh, I look forward to seeing how they're theoretically going to work with the Josh Charles character to add like a level of scientific inquiry to that, to their, you know, to the the perfume research, but also their sex research and bringing that together. And what that should be, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, and I don't know about in fact or in history, but mm-hmm. narratively, there's a lot of potential there. So, um, I don't really, I'm not big on 
how it ends, the episode ends. Um, I think if, if they wanted to get Virginia to that point, and I think feel like this is a pretty organic way to do that, but it still feels very manipulated to me. How did that work for you? Uh, I mean, it, it's it, it was inevitable. Uh, it wasn't a bad way for it to happen. It's probably not the most graceful way either. I mean, as soon as Josh Charles shows up, it's like, okay, how long is this going to take mm-hmm. when before we get to this happening? And it, and the answer is two episodes. So, okay, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I, I like Josh Charles on the show. He fits right in. He's a good period actor. Um, he's got a he's got he's got good period face. Um, that came out wrong. Um, but. Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely one of the le- least that along with uh, Ginny's daughter being a little schemer was probably like the least compelling aspects of the show. As much as I like Isabel Furman, I do really like though that she's trying to scheme to out her mom to her grandma, and her her grandma's like, "Good work." <laughs> it's like it's that yeah, is, is not what you were shooting for. Yeah, yeah. I do. Fi- I I did find it annoying that that when they get the scene of Francis Fisher. Uh, m- making the connection, they kept like literally panning the camera over to the bow tie. Like, do you guys get it? Do you get that it's the boat? Like, come on, we're watching the show. We get it. We understand. Yeah, you don't need to underline it with felt tip. Yeah. Yep. Uh. Yeah. I. Agree. But other than that, great episode. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a season high. Next up is Mr. Robot View Source, and was this a season high for you, or was it more in keeping with the rest of the season? I just thought this one was kind of a step back. Um, I thought it, it, on paper, I think it was a smart idea to have uh, to have Elliot kind of go off the grid and look at the other characters for a while while he sort of deals with his grief. Um, I don't think the execution was all that good. There are some basic plot issues that I'm really not clear on. Like, it seemed like they wanted the Dark Army on board for a very specific job that had a very specific window. And... Now a month has gone by and they still want to get the Dark Army on their side and I don't understand why. Um, I also don't understand why it's been a full month and sketchy hacker guy who got, who you know, essentially ruined, uh, who is who is hacked into Allsafe um, is also just sitting on his hands for a month waiting to do something. And I don't know why. Um, that stuff is confusing to me. Yeah, that's certainly not a strength of of this episode and recent, you know, recent part of the show when they're talking about, Oh, if we're going to hit evil corp. They now have these, all it, the tapes are at all the facilities. So we're going to do something else. Um, I guess they still need to get the dark army on board. It sounds like they're going ahead with this plan, this focus on still taking out these tapes, um, despite having missed their first window. But, um, that really feels more like we want to develop this plot thread and build towards the season finale. Um, so yeah, once again, I feel like I'm seeing the seams a little bit, but I'm if I'm having enough fun while I'm seeing the seams, I'll go with it. I mean, you're talking to somebody right. who's very comfortable with uh, <laughs> fabric spaceship walls and classic Doctor Who. So I mean, I'll go right. with it if I'm having enough fun. Yeah, um, I think that the main, uh, I think the most contentious part of the episode is probably Tyrell Wellick killing off uh, his rival's wife. Um, a few things about that scene. The use of the FKA Twig song was very disturbing. Um, and especially, although having it just cut out after the moment, I think was smart and, and, and not, I think it was a more interesting choice than having him just be cool and collected afterwards. Or what I thought he was going to do, which was throw her off the roof. 
Um, frankly, speaking as like, you know, you know, the, the psychopath in my brain said that would probably have been the smart move. Uh, but apparently not. Anyway, just having him freak out and not be okay with what he's just done is, is, is more interesting and is more in keeping with the idea that it's really his wife who's, who's the, the cool collected mastermind and he's kind of just making it up as he goes along. Now, do you um, think he went up there intending to do that? I don't know. I'm not sure that it matters. Um, it certainly didn't seem very planned. Uh, it seemed it seemed like more of a maybe a snap response to her um, to her sort of like her attempts to manipulate to, to manipulate the situation, which maybe he wasn't prepared to deal with. Uh, either way, I mean the actual execution of the se- of the sequence I thought was was quite strong whether it needed to happen i don't know i guess that remains to be seen yeah i would for me it seemed like even when he started having sex with her i don't know that he intended to kill her um which is why at least that's what i was picking up which is what makes his reaction at the end make the most sense to me And, and also this notion that he's just gonna wipe down her throat very briefly and yeah i mean like you were just your saliva's all over her. Uh, there's a zero percent chance you you got all the traces. Um, so if it was planned, that's I think a level of of stupid for him that I have trouble accepting. Um, it makes more sense as a loss of self um, and yeah, loss of control yeah. situation. I do, I do think there were some strong moments throughout. I mean that that's the sequence of Angela and her first meeting with uh with Colby was so creepy. Yeah. Oh, like so like I think I think that was more sort of in a way more unsettling. It was upsetting. Yeah. It was yeah, it was a very upsetting scene in a very unusual way for this show, um, yeah. Or for for any show really. Like it's just it's not it's unusual to hear that level of like verbal sexual violence inflicted on on someone who's just out of completely out of left field mm-hmm. uh the second scene with her and colby i didn't think was as effective um i also really liked uh elliot's confession at the end of the episode um and i think it pointed to the fact that when rami malik's not on screen uh it does feel like something's missing um i'll be curious to see uh where they go from there because that was one of the that was one of the few moments that throughout the episode that made me question okay now i want to see what's next because that was truly truly disturbing yeah, yeah. I, I'm very excited to see how they wrap up the season. And um, this this feels very much like a middle installment, I guess. And we'll yeah, see. it was very like it, it. To me, it was it was a little bit depressing because the last few episodes have felt so, uh, have been such a rush, and this one was more like take a pause, get the pieces moving, get from A to B. Um, and also, I I felt like that first like that opening flashback with the uh, with with the cure and. Uh, the conversation with him and Shayla, um, I felt like that should have been more of a punch to the gut, but it just felt very constructed to me. I was uh, having trouble with, initially I was like, did he imagine the body in the, because that could be a thing. We don't know what he's on and when, so I, I had to register her hair and a couple other things before I was confident that it was a flashback, um, but yeah. Having two love interests of a main or peripheral character violently killed in two weeks in a row is a bit much. So I'm they're gonna have to 
justify that um, in the next few, I think, to mm-hmm. have it not be like a little asterisk on their success of the season. Um, but other than that, I, I'm still very much on board with Mr. Robot. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call Michelle Hicks' character a love interest exactly, but I, I but the point is taken. Yeah, but as, as I was as, as I think I found a better way to say this, the whole the whole thing with her having with him being even more responsible for her death because he hooked her up with uh with with Vera, that felt like reverse engineered for extra pain in a way that kind of bugged me. Yeah, yeah, I can I can hear you with that. Uh, it didn't bother me, but I, you know I see where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah. Let's move on, though, to our next show, and that's Hannibal and the Woman Clothed in Sun. And for those people out there in Hannibal Land, having trouble, or Fannibal Land, I should say, having trouble keeping tra- track of and the woman clothed with the sun and and the woman clothed in sun, all you have to do is look up the two paintings online, and they're straight, obviously it's part of a series, but as soon as you do that, they will be distinct from you, and you will not have trouble keeping track of which is which. Um, so I recommend that if you are a fanable who is having trouble keeping the episode straight, take, take a look at those original paintings, the, the paintings by Blake, because they are, they are uh, very striking, uh, images. Mm -hmm. And speaking of in this episode, we get Reba, uh, as the woman clothed with the sun in her, with her arms stretched out, the woman clothed in sun is wrapped at, is that's the painting we've seen, um, where we've seen Dollarhead looking at the the back of the dragon, that's the woman clothed in sun painting. Um, okay. So how did how did this episode work for you? Having seen, you're familiar with these other adaptations. I've never seen them. Uh, this was all new to me. But you, this was not for you. I mean, to be clear, I've seen Manhunter. I haven't seen Red Dragon, but I'm familiar with the plot of Red Dragon. Um, I, th- I like you know. Wh- I think when we when we reviewed Manhunter back on. Back on the on the main SOS podcast, I did some research, etc. So I, I know the story. Um, in that sense, it is disappointing to me uh, that they are doing what they said they would and following that more or less to the letter. Because to me, the diversions from the source material have been some of the more interesting have, have been some of the most interesting aspects of the show. Um, that being said, even without that, I think there are some aspects of this episode that I found disappointing. Uh, the actual the 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 image of uh, of Dollarhide as the actual dragon um, was one of the few Hannibal images that just did not work for me. It just it was just too 1997 CGI. They just could not pull that one off. Maybe shouldn't have attempted it. Bold, but I think a little bit too far. the The image of of uh, of Reba as the woman in gold, um, I think, worked better. Um, see, for me, the the dragon didn't work until there was the woman in in clothed in uh, clothed with the sun to to counterpoint it, and I, okay. I agree that it was much more in keeping with the aesthetic of the show. It was much, it worked a lot better. It wasn't as big of a swing, but therefore it was also not as yeah. a miss. Um, but yeah, having those two counterpoint each other really helped me a lot with the first image. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, to me, th- this episode is all about the tiger scene. The tiger scene is incredible, and and so I had my good. hand, I had my hand in my face in exactly the same way as Dollarhide. Like I had my hand in my face, and then they cut to Dollarhide with his hand on his face, and that was a truly perfect moment of television. Um, beyond that, I wasn't that impressed with the episode. To be honest, uh, I did not care about 
the Bedelia flashback. Uh, I know some people thought that was brilliant, and the actual visual of the arm and the throat was still very, very upsetting, but again, answering questions that I did not need answered at all. See, this is what um, I think is interesting, because for me, I I agree the, the least successful part of the episode for me was the sequence with Bedelia, not because it's not interesting, but because I would rather have spent that time with the the main through line of the story it's sort of like with abigail last week i was like i like what we got with abigail last week but it feels like a distraction from the the red dragon arc and in getting more time with how will and hannibal are affected by it now i because these obviously these tie into their motivations the scene with bedelia and the scene with the scenes with abigail last week but again like you said i don't feel like i'm learning something new from these scenes that couldn't have been inferred from the previous scenes um so they, th- they feel they feel like deleted scenes from last season honestly like or or from earlier this season or like webisodes that sounds mm-hmm. like a really low blow but it they don't it doesn't feel like something i need to be seeing right now i'm sure you can infer thematic ties to what's going on but to me, it's not a compelling enough connection. Um, but I think that's interesting because you were saying that you weren't as interested in the Red Dragon stuff. But then when the stuff that's different, you're like, oh, that wasn't working either. So it sounds like you, you need something completely new from them. <laughs> uh, well, I, they don't work for me for different reasons. Um, the, they, these feel like, I, I agree, these feel like a distraction in a not co- very constructive way. Um the red dragon stuff is 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 disappointing on it in a totally different fashion, in and and not necessarily a way that's fair to the show, I suppose. Um, but I mean, also as I as I said before, this more grounded version of Hannibal is not is not as interesting to me as the wild unhinged version of three of three A. Um, the uh, the last thing also that kind of bugged me about this episode is like I've all I've long loved the subtext of of the show being the the, the Hannibal and Will love story. I don't like the way they're making it really explicit all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I know it wasn't exactly subtle before, but having uh, having Will and Bedelia, like, verbally bitch, bitch at each other about it, and, like, it was, like, one step short of having Julian Anderson turn to the camera and say, murder husbands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... Um... I, I liked it, I, or I, I enjoyed it. I didn't have a problem with it, which is better, different to say than different than I liking it. Um, but I do, I yeah, I, I like. For some people, they want it to be more explicit. They want to see him make out. And by the <laughs> way, uh, one of those people is writer Don Mancini, uh, who wrote this episode. As we, <laughs> Did we, he have them make out at some point? No, no. We talked about this, though. He was the guest uh, for this week's episode of This Is Our Design, where Sean Colletti and I talked about this episode of Hannibal for like an hour and a half or something ridiculous. <laughs> you guys can find that at Sound On Sight. It was wonderful to talk with Mr. Mancini. Um, but no, he's one of those who would much rather, you know, it's like, I don't, we're not going to do it. I don't think, I think Brian Fuller wants to keep it, you know, but I'd be, I'd be, he, so he, when you're sitting at home going and kiss, that's also, that's also uh, Mr. Mancini there. So uh, I know that there's a significant part portion of the fan base who feels that way. I prefer to let it be more, uh, uh, ambiguous, uh, not out of like some sense of homophobia or anything like that, but just the sense that Hannibal as a character defies labels. Um, mm-hmm. He's not 
a sociopath. He's not a this or that. He's just, he just is Hannibal. I prefer that take to pretty much every aspect of who he is. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, I, I'm hoping that there's only three episodes left of the show. Let's be real. Um, no. The, <laughs> there's only three episodes left of Hannibal. Kate, accept it. Um, so I, I'm hoping to be more engaged by the end game, but right now I'm feeling a little bit, uh, slightly crestfallen. I still, it's still Hannibal and I still like it, but it's just, it's, it's hashtag not my Hannibal. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, agree to disagree. Uh, and let's move to our last episode of the week, which I'm guessing is much more hashtag yes, you are rectify. Cause this was a, this was a gorgeous and wonderful and incredibly, emotional episode of rectify the future it's the penultimate episode of the season yes uh yes yes it is um so we've again but we're back to the sort of i guess the season one uh length uh, length of show which i think is ideal uh for rectify season two felt a little bit distended uh which you'd think for rectify would not be a problem but apparently it was a little bit uh so i think this is this is optimal for them uh, this was great. It was another, it's been a very solid season. I don't know if it's quite back to season one heights yet, but it's very close. Um, and I fully expect that next week will be intense and emotional and all the things that we love about it. Um, where would you like to start on this one? Um, well, I, I'm going to start with, when you talk about the episode, the season length, I actually think having the longer, like having a six episode season for 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 season three is feels very appropriate because we had the longer season two. I feel like if we had had a six episode season two, we'd be feeling like we were missing out. And so having a little bit more leeway with the time, getting to tell a few extra stories in season two before the stakes kicked up at the end of the season, and then we had a deadline of banishment, um, mm-hmm. really worked well to and then to pare back down after that after the stakes have gone up um, really was very effective. And uh, let's start with the Simon was right dance. Should we, should you do your Simon was right dance? What was I right about this time? You were right about uh, the most interesting thing option being finding out that uh, Daniel finding out that he didn't do it. And at least in this episode, according to the sheriff, the sheriff, the sheriff says he doesn't think he killed the, the, the most recent person who's died, but I think you can read through the lines of what he's saying to say he doesn't necessarily think he killed uh, or raped anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think that, uh, well, because ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, it's nice for Daniel. It's nice for the audience. Uh, it's it's nice to know that we're going to follow around a character who we can be reasonably certain uh, is not a murderer and rapist, um, especially when we when we already feel so much empathy for him. Uh, that's, if we can be reasonably sure we're not going to be contorted in that direction, that's, that's a nice thought. Um, but, uh, it doesn't matter in the sense that the damage is done in, in yeah, but every... For me it's not about that. It's about, this gives him something new and interesting to play. So it's not, yes. I'm reassured that I don't have this affinity for a character who's a rapist. Uh, it's, if he knows something, either knows that he did it or knows that he didn't, that changes his changes where he's coming from and all of a sudden he has these mm-hmm. n- new wave of emotions to feel like it this week it looks like it was like as pretty s- legitimate and deliberate setup of him so that that adds a new like before when he wasn't sure if he did it 
obviously there are issues of you know the DNA and, and, and railroading and everything, but it's a whole other level of betrayal and problems uh, and and uh, you know anger if he was set up by his friends. Air quotes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that, and I also I love as a performance moment uh, when when uh, when Aiden Young shows up in that interrogation room. And he's he's right back to his like I I can't even deal with this bullshit mode, just throwing out like cryptic half answers. And then when he realizes sort of the when he when he recognizes that shift in the sheriff, that that like no like I am not for once I am not here as as the enemy. I'm not here to be persecuted. And he actually like gives him real answers. Watching watching that performance shift is just a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and even along with this, it's, wait, you want me to give you, you want me to talk about somebody else so you can twist my words against that person and they can have my experience? You know, it's like watching, like you say, the performances from both men in that scene, uh, fantastic. And really throughout this, this episode, it was such a balanced episode. Everybody got something to do. When you're comparing mm. this season with season one, one of the things I love about this season is we get so much more time with Amantha and Daniel and specifically with an Amantha who at least somewhat has the gloves off a little bit more. She's not handling Daniel in the same Mm -hmm. way. So she, we get to see more of what feels like a genuine interaction between the two. And it just, they get to be so funny together. Yes. Um, Although I think the award for my favorite scene of the episode doesn't involve Daniel. It's the, um, it's when Janet, uh, stands with Teddy and Teddy Jr. in the still unfinished kitchen uh, and tells them what's what um, it, it not, you know, not in a, in, in, in a, in an accusatory way, just very, very much explains. She understands where everyone's coming from. This is what's going to happen. Like it or lump it. And then when we get that two shot of Teddy and Teddy Jr., that's the first, I think that's the first time we've ever had a shot like that. And it, it wasn't until I saw that shot and watched their reactions in that same frame that I realized how perfectly cast they are as father and son. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's really, it's very remarkable. And and the, we've been saying this since season one, how, how remarkable a character Teddy Jr. is, but the handling of that character and the performance from Crawford throughout this season has been particularly strong. And in these last two episodes, it just goes to a new level, um, at least for a connection to the audience. And that's also because they're making him more sympathetic. They aren't having him be a jackass. They're having him have some more levels of self-awareness. So that's easy. It's easier to like him now, but no, like when you, when you, the, the position that Janet puts them in and the show puts her in to put them in, um, where, <laughs> he ted is just like i have to betray my son or leave my wife right now and Mm. there's no good answer and even being silent is an answer to some extent yeah Uh, it's just and and (laughs) then of course he doesn't even he's not even gonna come home he's just gonna leave so that theoretically didn't need to happen, but it still it needed to happen so much more than based on the plot because that was the central struggle in you know in the conflict in that marriage and with Teddy and Janet too, Teddy Junior and, and Janet, of 
of the priorities having to shift and align and the characters need to be honest with each other um, so that they could try to, if they're, if they want to, to heal, accept that heal, reflect, and then move on um, to whatever's going to be next. But yeah, that the, the patience of the show to just sit in that moment in the kitchen as Teddy tries to keep it together and do some work on the cabinet while his father doesn't leave, but says nothing. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. I, and I, I have to say, you mentioned sort of the, the gradual softening of Teddy Jr. And I mean, there have been a lot of examples in TV history of characters who start out completely uh, just as, as jackasses and then are gradually made likable over time. But I have to, I have to say that Teddy Jr. has to be, if not the most convincing example uh, definitely one of the most convincing and one of the most gradual and and uh, and organic. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's very possible we will look back on Rectify and Teddy Jr. will be the most interesting and complex and laudable element of the show. Yes, and that's saying something. Yeah, and uh, Adelaide Clemens also great in this episode. Oh, fantastic. Uh, obviously everyone's great everyone's great rectify is great uh and i i fully expect uh waterworks next week oh. i don't know who they're going to come from but i feel like it's going to come from more than one person everyone and everyone <laughs> watching <laughs> but yeah oh man this i said earlier in the season when deciding who to give our the week in genre and drama to that i was pretty sure rectify had a next level and then it would get there soon and these last couple episodes, man, this is that next level. So I can't wait to see what they have in store for the finale. Yeah. The honestly the only thing that I missed this this week was I would have liked I would have liked an a bonus seventh episode somewhere in the middle with a little bit more of that like crazy goat man surreality that we got in season one and haven't ever really gone back to. Well, that's the kind um, of thing you get to have in season two. When you have more episodes. And they had a little bit of that in season two. Uh, they had a little bit of that in season two. Not not quite to the same level, though. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that it will... I mean, it has been renewed already, which is fucking miraculous. And um, very reassuring. We can actually like enjoy these episodes a bit more because we know that there's more coming. Yeah. Uh, we, we may not be able to live in a world with more Hannibal, but we somehow mysteriously live in a world where Rectify gets at least four seasons. Yeah. Definitely. Well, uh, before we finish up our Rectify talk, though, we just quickly have to say Squidbillies. Oh, yes. Um, And that was also a great moment for, um, God, what is that fucking actor's name Uh, from Deadwood and so many other things? Um, I'd settle for the character's name. I don't know either. Fuck. Anyway, uh, another great performance moment of just him just sitting there chuckling knowing that he's probably screwed his eyes getting wider and the smile getting more forced the yeah yeah no and and like and the kids are like i don't like it he's like too bad (laughs) watching squid billy yeah yeah no it was such a Uh, specific choice loved it yeah yep yeah well what wins your weekend genre and drama uh i will give it to rectify um the hannibal award goes to rectify i feel like it's going to be the rectify award next week to be honest Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, that wasn't even that wasn't hard. Even though there was a lot of good stuff this week. Yeah, I, I liked Hannibal a lot more than you did. It was, I I really loved uh, significant portions of this week's Hannibal. But I gotta give it to Rectify. That was a knockout episode. Um. So, well done, 
cast and crew uh, over and team and production, you know, creative team over at Rectify. Go team Rectify. Go team Rectify. Well, a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Kayla Kamari Yupaja to talk about uh, oh of the AV Club. I mean, she's KKU in our. She, we already know where she's from, right? Yes. Sort of like everybody knows KKU from the AV Club to talk about the L word. Uh, you can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, and, and like the page to start up a conversation there and follow what's going on in Soundonsite TV. You can also find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And of course, you can find us uh, both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Simon, you are at Sucker Howell. And what is our question of the week? Uh, well, with TCAs uh, going on and on and on and on, uh, I, w- I would be wondering um, if you could sit down to watch uh, a panel with the cast of anyone, cast and crew of anything from history, what would it be? That you ha- that you- I'd say in your case that you haven't already had the chance to. Yeah. Oh man, that is tough. Cause like, do you go for some a thing where you're gonna have like the, uh, the warm fuzzies experience? Do you go for something where there's just a lot of really funny people? Oh man, I, cause I feel like Arrested Development with the Arrested Development cast and crew would lead to some funny things, but uh, there's some other shows where it's just, I don't know. I feel like you got to pick something that's a passion project where everybody, like, I feel like, like watching Treme with the Treme cast feels like that would be a special experience. Mm. Yeah. You know, where this is like clearly a, a gig that's underappreciated and everybody who's there loves it. Like, you know, one of my favorite shows, probably my favorite show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's reached a level of critical awareness and, uh, and acceptance and praise that, any serious TV person at least knows of it and knows that it has a really very strong, uh, it had a very strong impact on the development of television and is, I, I feel like I can say critically revered. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some of these other shows that are amazing that nowhere near enough people saw um, that are just as, just as, uh, just as powerful and just as strong and just as worthy of that level of scrutiny and debate um, that haven't gotten it. So I guess for right now, because like I feel like you could also say the same thing about Dead would be would be a lot of fun, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Treme. Yeah, Deadwood's kind of my gut answer. Just the notion of hanging out with that whole cast and and with Milch on board. Actually, in that sense, I would love to watch a Luck panel um, with Milch and Man and mm-hmm. that cast and the stories that they would have had and talking about the corners of the show that didn't get to exist and milch's little uh you know many uh areas of interest as they relate to the show i think that would have been fascinating to hear yeah definitely yeah well i look forward to hearing what people come up with for this and and let's if you've gotten you let's make this a two two first if you've gotten to to have a particularly special experience like that at one of these like at austin or at comic-con or at you know these different at paley fest then then Get, tell us about that, like your favorite experience like that, or uh, and then separate from that, any time period, any show, everyone's there, what would it be? Yeah. That, or I guess I could say the original cast of SNL, so that I could say, don't pre- do drugs! <laughs> don't do all the drugs! 
Good times. Good. I look forward to what people have to say. Um, great pick with the original SNL cast. But uh, but now we'll take a break. Uh, that wraps up our weekend TV. So we'll take a break and come back with Kayla Kumari Upaja from the AV Club to talk about the L word. Hi, your ladyship. Please don't char anything. It's not like it's going to dislodge if she sits down too hard, Alice. There's nothing to dislodge. Sean's sperm is lackluster. He's <gasps> low motility. No motility. Actually. Oh my god. You would never know it by the way he fucks. Oh, Christ, Alice. When are you gonna make up your mind between dick and pussy and spare us the gory bisexual details? Please? Well, for your information, Dana, I'm looking for the same qualities in a man as I am in a woman. Big tits. Anyway, it explains why I haven't gotten pregnant after six months. Oh, sorry, T. He he was the perfect donor. Here's the one who got wanted. But my egg just implanted so I could still conceive any time over the next two or three days. So you gotta help me find another donor. Mm. Hold on now, what's the matter? Mm. Sean's jism is no good. We'll find you someone else. You, I've got two days. Well, between the four of us, we'll come up with someone. What, he has to be healthy, strong, creative, handsome? Artistic. There's always Shane. Guys. Hey. You know, do you have to dress like that all the time? Like what? Well, I wouldn't be seen on the street with you. I yeah. mean, every single thing about the way you're dressed, like, screams die. God, Dana. Sorry, man. Well, look, if I'm out and I'm screwed, Alice, all right? Sponsors aren't exactly clamoring to have their stuff repped by big old lesbian tennis players. No, what? no, no, look, it's cool. I totally dig the need to make a living. I'm meeting a client anyway. You know, you are going to pickle in that self-loathing homophobia, I swear. Oh, yo, you're going to shrivel in that self-righteous priggishness. <sighs> you guys. All right, who would squirt into a jar for you? Hello. <laughs> what? You are just so gay. So gay. I know. back with the televerse this is kate kolzik joined as ever by simon howell and this week on the dvd shelf we are checking off another one of those shows that i have felt bad about not having seen for a long time uh which is very exciting as well as welcoming on a new guest that we've tried to have tried to get on for a while so we're very glad to, to have her here to help us talk about the l word from the av club it's kayla kamari upaja uh welcome to the podcast Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, there have been certain of our guests this past this year um, where whenever I think of the show in question, I think of that person online. So, for example, when Rowan came on to talk about Babylon 5, I was like, well, of course. Uh, and when we had a chance to, to hang out at the AV Club thing earlier this year, I was, I was like, okay, it's, it needs to happen. We need to talk L word <laughs> and we need to talk L word with Kayla because that is those two things are synonymous in my my uh, at least at my Twitter feed, if nothing else. Um, so for those who are aware of your writing at, for the AV Club and uh, and just your your love of this show, if they follow you on Twitter, they'll know um, th this is not a stretch. But for those who do not yet follow you on Twitter and have not yet read your writing about the L word, why are you such a fan of this show? Yeah, this is actually, shockingly, the first time I've ever podcasted about The L Word, which is crazy to me. Um, this is, like, a long time coming, because uh, I've been a fan of the show for a really, really long time. Um, I used to watch it, like, a long time ago, before I even had um, Showtime, 
uh, but my friend had Showtime and I would kind of watch it there. I was always pretty intrigued by it, but I like wasn't following it regularly. So I'd catch like an episode here or there. And then it was a few years ago um, when I finally watched for the first time uh, from start to finish. It was when I was in college and I d- it was one of those things where I just watched it and like did not stop basically. And I mean, anybody who's watched The L Word from start to finish knows that it becomes a train wreck like not even it becomes a train wreck pretty quickly too is the thing um it's not like it's really great for a while and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it's kind of like a slow descent into madness or I had a friend who once described it as just like the show just decided to kind of slowly self-destruct after somewhere around season one season two and um but it was just it was like uh it was nothing like anything else I'd ever seen on television just in terms of the like all women all queer uh cast of characters and stuff and so I just like couldn't get enough of it and just watched it and now I probably rewatch it like once a year sometimes more than once a year <laughs> um and every you know every time I get to the end and I can't decide whether I hate or love the show <laughs> And as a result, it just is one of my favorite shows of all time, just because it makes me feel so much, even though sometimes that is hatred. (laughs) It's really interesting for me, this show, because first of all, obviously, it's a show about a group of lesbian, bisexual, uh, and all all colors of the spectrum uh, women in L.A. And... uh, and so that's just on its own, just being a, a show about so many different women rather than just something like Sex and the City where it's four characters that you follow throughout the whole yeah. run. It really is a much, it creates much more of a world than than a show like Sex and the City. But, but even more than that, it, you know, it, this is a show that really struck a chord with an underrepresented group uh, in, in the, you know, really the world, but also specifically America, if you want to talk about American TV. Um, and yet it is not a show that I tend to hear people talk about. You need to see the L word. It doesn't seem to be essential viewing for, for people in the way that some of the other uh, series about marginalized groups, the, uh, especially from this time period uh, seems to be. And again, maybe that's just the circles that I've run in, in the, in the internet, but uh I hear more people telling me you got to watch Queer as Folk than I did The L Word. And I'm curious if you have any theories on that. My theory is that, um, again, like you said, the people, even the people that I know who really like the show, tend to point to its decline over the last few seasons, um, which is something I think most shows that run six seasons have to worry about. Yeah, I think like... I think the L word was always burdened by the fact that it was kind of the first of its kind, uh, that it really was the only show at the time and really the first show that was like exclusively about queer women. Um, and so there was this kind of burden of representation on it. Like, oh, you have to, you know, be perfect basically because you're the only show doing this that I, I think really hurt it. Cause I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's not, it's far from a perfect show, but I also think that people held it to really unfair standards um, because it was the only one of its kind. Well, and when you say it was the only one of its kind, then I'm having trouble thinking of another show. Oh, yeah, nothing a, has <laughs> has replaced it, for a, sure. A single well, and, other show. And yeah. when you talk about, about that a lot in, in your article, Kayla, and I, I had to think about that again when... Um, uh, rather, when when I was reading that, it it brought me right back to Transparent, 
which is a show that uh you know talk talk about you know going out on a limb or being the first or whatever um uh that's a show that i've read plenty of uh especially transgender critics and writers say they won't even watch uh like they won't even like make an attempt to watch it because it was created by a cis woman um and whether and that's you know there's that's perfectly within their purview but i think that there is i think within certain circles a reluctance to engage with things that might be worthwhile based on you know the 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 perfect being the enemy of the good and all that um which i think is really too bad because the whole nature of the word problematic is that there's something worth engaging beyond the the problems and i think people i think people uh, are missing out sometimes when they're too stringent yeah, I agree. And yeah, Transparent's definitely a good example. And I think Jill Soloway has done a good job of responding to that. I mean, she is a showrunner who heard the complaints and then, you know, made the hires that were necessary to address the problems that people were having. Um, so yeah, I think that The L Word suffered from a similar thing just in terms of like, yeah, like, yeah, I hate the word problematic, but I always refer to the L word as my most problematic fave. Because um, I was talking about it with someone recently, and uh, we were kind of joking about, like, who was the most problematic character on the L word, and we realized that they all are. We were like, no one was really, like, great, but also that's kind of true to life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it is weird to me how the show really isn't that critically talked about on a wide scale. It's only like in certain, you know, small circles because yeah, nothing has really replaced it either. I mean, people have pointed to Orange is the New Black and stuff. And I'm like, that's, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't count at all. (laughs) I I actually find Orange is the New Black to be a funny comparison point because there was that piece that came out just recently about how, and it had never occurred to me and I don't know how, uh, how Orange is the New Black is terrified of the concept or even uh, the concept of or even the word bisexuality. Oh, yeah. And yet it's all over the L word, which I was not expecting. Oh, yeah, it totally is. Um, yeah, I mean, L word, the L word, like, kind of said and did a lot of things that just other TV shows do not even now. Um, yeah, I don't know. how much. So you guys, was this your first time watching it? Any of it? <laughs> it was for me, Simon. There was, it's weird. There was definitely a time in my life where I watched a bunch of it because I, I watched every episode on your on your 10 plus the pilot. Um, and there were specific episodes that I knew I'd seen before. When or why? I don't know. There, there are parts of life that have just floated into the ether, never to be found again. But I definitely had watched some of it before. Um, that being said, when, when, when you were talking about, um, you know, all the characters being problematic... Uh, I will say that based on on the span of episodes that I watched, I was pretty solidly in in Team Alice for pretty much pretty much the whole run. Oh yeah, I love Alice, and honestly, the worst thing about Alice was just the writers made a really weird choice and decided to make her absolutely insane after <laughs> she and Dana break up. It was like really weird and hard to watch because I was kind of into that though. <laughs> the crazy Alice. Yeah. With like cardboard cut out Dana. <laughs> See, well that that part was a bit much, but what I liked about it was like that was an angle on sort of uh, uh, uh that whole notion of like being addicted to someone uh was was novel and I feel like I've seen that happen. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes, just only seen. Um and uh and I I hadn't really seen it like actually taken on as an addiction before. So that was kind of novel. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think Alice is generally everyone's favorite. Alice is always the one that everybody wants to be too when they get stuck in the like, which Elwood character are you? Everyone wants to be Alice. And no one wants to be Jenny. <laughs> no one wants to be Jenny. I talked to someone recently who actually was like a very true fan of Jenny. And I was like, we need to talk about this for like an hour so I can try to understand you and well, your perspective. Maybe, maybe they only remember like first two seasons, Jenny. Yeah, I think Jenny is a really interesting character in the first season, especially because, um, well, actually, I really like Jenny in the pilot because I think she's definitely used as kind of this almost like access window um, into this like queer world. Like that's kind of what she's set up as. Like she's like this newcomer from the Midwest and stuff and she hasn't really been surrounded by queer people. And the idea is kind of she's like this, you know, uh, audience conduit. And I think that that worked really well. But then I don't know what they were doing with Jenny after that. (laughs) Oh, man, I felt really bad for Mia Kirshner, who I already knew from Exotica and a couple other things. Like, she's great. And it was just it was it was so nice to see her in anything else. And then, yeah, at a certain point, I don't know. Did they just hate her or something? I, yeah, I really don't know. Um, I mean, Mia Kirshner played it so well. Um, she, you know, uh, especially when Jenny was kind of in her craziest director mode when she's oh, like Jesus. making the movie within the show, which that whole plot just became so convoluted. But um, I'm a big fan of Mia Kirshner too. Uh, so I'm always pretty conflicted about Jenny. But it, and then like the last season, where she's just kind of found murdered and it's never really solved. <laughs> she got Ryan Murphyed. She got Ryan Murphyed. She and basically you're led to believe that anybody could have killed her because everyone had a motive to. Well, and it was also funny to me because I read about that early on, and you're watching the early seasons, and you're like, who would want to kill Jenny? And then by season four, you're like, how is she? How 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 has she remained unmurdered this long? Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and then Shane and Jenny getting together is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) I hated Um, that so much. (laughs) Well, it's like any show moving on into it, especially a show that is, you know, it's basically, it's a soap. It's about the, the lives of these people, but it's, it's a soap in many ways. Like so many of our, of our dramas are that we watch relationship dramas, uh, as you get into season four, five, six on a lot of these shows, either plot lines can start to get stale or they have very creative writers who are able to somehow keep things fresh or just you keep you get to more and more extremes which is kind of what happened with Yellward with several of these characters like you guys have pointed out and also with the storylines and that's why you get the season five movie and you get the season six by the end who's killed Jenny um and that really for me underlines what I was most surprised about by the show and maybe again why it doesn't get talked about as much as I think maybe it should is that for me what I found very interesting about it is that in many ways it's just a regular nighttime soap relationship drama show that just has almost all women yeah it's exactly the same kind of show as we've seen many many places it just has has queer women at the center yeah, and that was kind of what I loved about the show and what I why I continue to love it. Mm-hmm. The way the way I thought to describe it is, is very similar. It, it feels like a solidly average show that happens to be piped in from a completely different universe. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. 
Well, and yeah. that's that's why comparing it or or the the notion that because Orange is a new black also has a lot of women, it's the same show or it's like the successor is borderline offensive to me. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Just the notion. Oh well, they both have a bunch of women, so same show. It's like. Come on, guys. There's a percentage of the population out there that is that is queer. And just because there are only two shows that seem interested in having more than one queer woman doesn't mean that they are necessarily antecedent and progenitor, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have, I have to say their attempts to integrate men into the cast uh, are, are interesting. Was Dallas Roberts the only guy to actually make the opening credits? I think so, yeah. Uh, I've, well, which is good because he's you know probably the most likable of them. But although Tim wasn't bad, he just got a raw deal. Yeah, yeah, he did. But, but, but Mark, I don't think he man. was ever in the opening. No, he wasn't. But man, Mark, I don't know what they were. I mean, the thing I understand Mark as like a bit character. I don't really understand him sticking around for an entire season. No, neither do I. Like honestly, Mark could have been like a one episode stunt. Yeah, like I think having him come in as sort of a satirical counterpoint to the male viewers or sort of oblivious male critics or whatever, I think was smart and funny. Uh, and it worked in the one episode that was on your list, but I can't imagine him for an entire season. No. Yeah. And that's how, yeah, you're right. Every time they really tried to introduce a guy into the show, it didn't really work out so well. <laughs> no, I think, I think with Dallas Roberts, yeah, Dallas Roberts, it was okay uh, because he was mostly uh, involved with Kit, and it's and I feel like in the at least in the episodes I watched, she's kind of haphazardly integrated into the show overall, so it gave her a little bit more to do. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's 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 definitely definitely hit or miss on that front. I yeah. gotta say, watching the pilot and seeing Pam Greer show up was one of the highlights of my week watching you know, TV. Well, that's, that's the other crazy thing that about like why you know more people across wider circles of like television interests don't talk about this show more often is because like everybody was in this. So many people were in this show, like big mm -hmm. people. Even just the guests that they got. I mean, Sybil Shepherd was in this show for multiple seasons. <laughs> yeah, you've got Jane Lynch in there. Um, God, Marley Matlin, like yeah. little appearance by Alan Cumming, which was very nice to see. <laughs> oh my gosh, a great, great arc with Alan Cumming. <laughs> well, how do you guys feel about these different central figures? Because I, I remember when the show started, uh, just there was a lot of buzz about, oh, Jennifer Beals is back and she's got a show, but um, and and she is definitely one of the core central figures of the whole series. But I actually think uh, the character I probably was the most invested in and had the most fun with was actually Shane. Yeah, I love Shane a lot. Um, she could be a really frustrating character because she's one of those characters that makes the same mistake over and over and over again, like a Lorelai Gilmore kind of almost. Just like, you're just like, seriously? <laughs> again? <laughs> <laughs> Again with the cheating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like kind of a never ending cycle. And I, uh, the hardest one to get over was her leaving Carmen at the altar for sure. And I know people who are still angry about that. <laughs> Speaking um, of, of cast, Sarah Shahi, who, you know, is fabulous. Oh, wonderful. She's so great. I wish that we had gotten to know Carmen a little more. I always really liked the like girlfriend characters, all the characters who kind of became part of the group just by dating someone in the main cast. Um, uh, 
and she's she, yeah Carmen's one of the ones that I wish we could have learned more about before she was just like very unceremoniously <laughs> tossed aside <laughs> yeah um I I wasn't sure that I bought uh Shane having such a hard time pronouncing quinceanera uh but <laughs> but I, I thought their episodes together were were interesting just for just for having a different cultural perspective that wasn't presented in quite the quite the same way we're we're used to um trying to think of the of the other mains and how i feel about them well um how, are you guys on the good ship uh bet and tina i don't know what they're Bettina maybe <laughs> I, I don't know what their ship name is most people do not like bet and tina um See, the thing with the thing with Bettina is i feel like they would be fine if they were just realistic with each other about what the and that's that's the problem with like basically all the couplings on the show is that like it feels like they needed an injection of polyamory at some point and it just never happened oh definitely and i also but by the way that's the next thing we're waiting for is like the great polyamory show yeah <laughs> i'm trying to think of a show that's tried that outside of that uh outside of caprica and of course, on Caprica, they're all evil. So <laughs> it didn't really work. What? What? How about you, Kayla? How are you with Bettina? Um, I am mixed. I, uh, so Tina is actually like one of the most hated characters besides Jenny on the show, and I actually don't hate Tina as much as some people do. Um, she can be like annoying or whatever, but I think she's relatively harmless. Um. But yeah, I, I agree uh, with what you said, Simon, just that like Bet and Tina knew that their relationship wasn't working because Bet was basically just like, you know, I need control, all this stuff. And like, I will probably also cheat on you. And it happened time <laughs> after time. But not, neither of them like really had a, they just kind of like bulldozed through it. And it was just like, so there was never really kind of like any kind of significant change there. It was just, again, kind of like the shame cycle. It was just the same thing over and over again, which made it hard to root for them, really, because it just wasn't believable at a certain point. I feel like we need to talk about Dana at this point. Well, as yeah, we, say, we definitely need to talk about Dana. <laughs> that's the relationship that I was most invested in, at least in the episodes that I watched, even before they get together. I was I was rooting for them to, you know, to to make it work. And, you know, then cancer, stupid cancer, stupid cancer, which like literally Eileen Chaikin has said in interviews that she regrets doing that, that she basically didn't do it for any concrete reason. She was just like, oh, let's kill Dana. And then <laughs> had no idea that people were going to respond to it the way that they did, um, which is just <laughs> sounds absurd to me um, that she just thought that she could kill off like a main character without any repercussions. Um, and then later she was like, oh, yeah, if I did it all again, I wouldn't have done that. See, I kind of feel like that's why someone should get cancer and die is the thing. Like, if you're going to have someone die a random, horrible death, it should really be random and horrible. So it's true. It, in that sense, I support it in the sense of the fact that the show's not as good when she's not there. It wasn't a good decision. Yeah, because she was one of the funniest ones, for sure. Um, and then, like, the show definitely got stuck in a really sad depressing rut after, like in the immediate um aftermath of her death and then there was a weird period of time where everyone kind of forgot about Dana and then like they brought her back for the bicycle episode <laughs> yes. um but yeah I it's definitely yeah I don't know it's one of the most kind of just 
memorable TV deaths for sure because of how unexpected it was. So I do agree with that. Well, uh, the we, we've talked about the the, mo- the main characters, the main circle. I mean, and especially with I just go to crazy Jenny. I, I know she's not crazy for like the first solid couple seasons, but especially I me, mean, Christian's just really good at playing crazy. Because uh, I always think of, of course, uh, her role on on Twenty Four as you oh, know, yes. <laughs> yeah, crazy assassin person. But um, but but are there who are the the recurring figures who you maybe would have liked to see more of? as a series, you know, or, or maybe who you would like have liked to see earlier in the show, maybe. Um, well, I always loved Jody. I loved Marley Matlin's character. Um, and she doesn't come in until like season four, I think around there. Mm-hmm. And we also like never really learned that much about her. She kind of is just there like for, for a new love interest for bet. Um, uh, I would have liked to see more of her just because I love Marley Matlin so much. Um, and uh, that's basically how I feel about Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lucy Lawless is in like two episodes or something. I know. It's just not enough. I, 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 I'm always I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of her, of course. But um, I, th- I think I was particularly disappointed because I, I must have, you know, read into some stuff I was seeing online. I assumed she was a significant part of the show. No, not at all. And then she's just, like, barely there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think her character has a name at all. She's basically yeah. just a detective yeah. solving Jenny's How weird murder. is it? How weird is it that, that the Terminator plays the most well-adjusted person possibly in the whole run of the show? Right. <laughs> um, until she, like, burns down Shane's house. Yeah. Well, details. <laughs> Yeah, well adjusted until all of a sudden she was an arson, which kind of came out of left field for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I loved Paige. Season four introduced a lot of characters that I really loved. I'm pretty sure um, uh, Kristana Loken's Paige character was introduced in the same episode that Jody was. Um, mm-hmm. I think it all happens in that basketball episode, which is always the episode that I just like return to for some reason. <laughs> um, it's it's what I consider to be like the most kind of just quintessential episode of the L word. It's not necessarily a perfect episode of television, but it is like the L word in one episode. Essentially. I, just, I just love how bad they are. They're, They're so bad. And Jenny is obviously the worst. Which is, which is like smoking cigarettes on the court. Isn't she holding coffee at one point? Yeah. She just like gets the ball at one point and it's just like running with it in her arms and just like hurls it at the backboard. I, 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 I doubt it was intentional, but I feel like that was a really good encapsulation of how we were all feeling about Jenny at that point. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, we didn't we didn't talk at all about Helena either in terms of main people. Like yeah. she doesn't come in until I think season two, two yeah. or three. Late season two, I think. Late season two. Okay, yeah. Because um, it's when Tina and Bet are split um, when she's first introduced because she's Tina's first kind of love interest outside of Bet. Um, I really like Helena a lot, um, especially Helena post getting cut off from her family wealth. Yes. <laughs> um, that Helena is great. And then the friendship between Helena and Alice, I always really love too. Those were actually some of my favorite relationships on the show were the friendships. Um, and that's actually the one thing I liked about Jenny was her friendship with Shane and how much Shane kind of cared about Jenny which is again why I kind of was mad when they eventually got together because it just didn't really feel right. Like the whole 
kind of point of their friendship was like Jenny was kind of the one girl that Shane was just kind of you know normal with um and not trying to sleep with basically and, and, they I, ruined that. and I like that she even says like yeah we could have banged but yeah. that, that wouldn't make it a good idea and then it happens like, yeah oh my gosh <laughs> Like, I feel like that was just fan service at that point. Although, who would have even wanted that? I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that maybe, at least for me, that's a good note to to end on. It's just that I, I really appreciate that this show is interested in the friendships, too. It's not only interested in the romantic entanglements. There's plenty of that. But yeah. oh, when yeah. they're sitting at the planet and just kind of all hanging out together. Those are the scenes that I had the most fun with. Or I know that there are, you know, certain episodes that on your, your list of 10 over at AV Club that people can check out if they want a, you know, sampler starter kit for the L word that, that really highlight that those friendships as well. But that's really because I'm not as invested in most of the romantic entanglements and relationships. That is really what I come back to for this show. Yeah, I agree. The friendship moments were always my favorite. The, like the romantic side of things, the one thing, that well I always say that I kind of suffer from the L word syndrome in the sense that the L word made me believe that like just because basically anytime a new character was introduced on the show you knew they were going to make out with someone at some point <laughs> like, <laughs> like even if they were like oh no I'm a straight girl like no you're like, not no you're not they like straight people I, I think I said this in my tv club 10 thing like it created a universe where straight people like did not exist like like everyone was queer in some way like there was Sybil Shepard's daughter who I think was played by Sybil, she- Sybil Shepard's yeah, real daughter like spitting image I, I had to look it up immediately yeah um uh, who I don't, I, I didn't think she was that great of an actress, but um, w- which is why I never really clung to the character. But yeah, she's introduced as she's like, yep, I'm a straight girl. And then she's like dating Shane like yeah. three episodes later. Like, <laughs> well, that's what so it's like, that has like kind of stuck with me just in the sense that like, I mean, of course I was going to find the, find the way to bring up Unreal, but like, that's why when I'm watching Unreal, I'm like, oh yeah, like Rachel and Quinn, they're in love. Like they're like they're gonna, you know, make out eventually because if this was the L word, that would happen. <laughs> well yeah, it's it's always like, Oh, I'm a straight girl. Have you met Shane? <laughs> yeah. That, da da yeah. da. Ellipses. Or it's easy one Marina. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So well, do you guys have any final thoughts about the L word? Uh favorite episodes or, or moments or last things you wanted to mention? Uh Simon? Uh, I just really, uh, you were talking about the friendships, and I think my favorite example of that is uh, the scenes in, I want to say it's a season four episode, when Phyllis's husband shows up, and it's Bruce Davis, I think, uh, one of those, like, guys you've seen in everything, and in just, a, in just kind of, you know, a, a small part, and he's just destroyed, and he has to be consoled by a bed full of lesbians. <laughs> it's just, it's so good. I love those scenes. Me too. Any of the scenes where they're all just like sitting in bed together drinking are always my favorite. I think I included like two or three of those in my TV club 10 because I just love them so much. And that, yeah, the one you just mentioned is one of the best ones because he's just like asking them all these kind of like dumb questions about sexuality and stuff. And they're just kind of entertaining it. And it's, yeah, yeah it's good. And they're like just the right mix of sympathetic and annoyed. Yes, exactly. Well, how about you, Kayla? Any final um, thoughts? All I'll say is that, you know, if you're going to watch one episode of The L Word, it should be Layup. <laughs> it should definitely be the basketball episode. Because um, I think it does kind of encase everything that the show was about, um, for me at least. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I think 
more people should be watching and talking about the show even now until there is like a clear um successor to it uh which there isn't yet yeah we we should probably at least mention Max. I feel like that's an important character. Oh, we right, definitely, yeah. definitely. Had mentioned, um, which and and you know this is this the show wasn't as interested in in his transition, but I just even having a transgender character, I think this is something where we go back and watch this show, and there's yeah, like we talked about that. You've already mentioned this Simon with Orange is the New Black. There's so much bisexual erasure in in. Uh, in, t in television, American television, even just, I mean, y'all know how much I love Buffy, but they had to make Willow straight up gay. They couldn't make her bisexual. Yeah. When that made more sense from what we'd seen on the show with her relationship with Oz, um, this notion that there isn't a spectrum. It's, it's, there's this sort of enforced duality of, of gay or straight. So this show's use of its bisexual characters and having, having different characters identify in one way or another and really being very comfortable with how they define themselves, uh, regardless of like with Kit, she, she identifies as straight. We see her with women, but she identifies as straight. And so the show respects that. Um, so they may not have been as interested in showing the, the, the transgender transition experience as much as maybe we would have liked, but just again, their inclusion of that character, I think is a significant thing. Yeah, and I, th I think to go back to the notion of the way people define themselves, I think one of the best moments is actually in Layup when uh, when Tina wants to get in on the game. And she's like, no, you're dating a man right now. Like, it's not going to work. She's like, yeah, but I'm a lesbian. Yeah. Like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kayla. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, yeah, so I tweet a lot of things uh, about the L word, Unreal, and just like ladies making out at uh, Kayla Kamari is my handle. Um, and yeah, I write for the AV Club and the Hollywood Reporter mostly. Um, but yeah, I post everything on Twitter. So that's like the best place to find anything that I write. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and getting me to finally sit down with the L word. It's been one of those, like, it's been on my list of shows that I feel bad, like, I hope doesn't come up in conversation. So I have to admit <laughs> that I haven't seen. So I'm glad I can at least check that off and have a working knowledge of it, even if I do need to go back and do a full, a full watch of it. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. This was so fun. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm -hmm.